All right, good morning. Go ahead and get your seat. You don't mind doing that? Good morning. All right. It's, it is absolutely great to see everyone this weekend. So glad that you are here. Seems like everything is sort of kicking back off. We have life groups again that are reconnecting this week. And if you are not connected, I would love to connect with you in the back after the service. Maybe talk to you about getting connected in the form of a life group. Um, so love, love to talk with you at the end, maybe in the back over next to the community board. Maybe we can jump in and talk about that. I want to ask you a question, and I need your help a little bit right now. The greatest movie that you have ever seen in your entire life from start to finish, meaning the cinematography, the actual script, everything that you have ever, like a movie that comes to your mind and you go, that was a great movie. I wouldn't change anything about that. Um, what would it be? Go. Holy cow. Okay, so let me, let me just make sure. Um, the men of the room have just said Braveheart. Can I get an amen? Okay. Amen. Gladiator. We have Gladiator. We have, um, we, 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 anything else? What's that? The Passion of the Christ. Monica just went really spiritual on us. In my list that I made, Passion of the Christ is not on there. I'm just being honest. Okay, just being honest. The sound, the sound okay, the sound of music. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay, so, so here's what we're doing right now. We have this movie, and we would sit there, and we'd say, man, there's some bad things that happen in that story. There's some really bad things that happen, but you can't change anything because it just makes the story. It makes it. Like, you have all of those things in there, and you would sit there and go, like, for instance, what if we were to say, Tom Cruise, you know what, listen, I know this Top Gun thing is your movie, and you've come up with this thing, but listen, we got a new guy, his name is Will Ferrell, and we would like for him. <laughs> I'm not so sure that would go well, even for the second one, which, by the way, if you have not seen it, it's unbelievable. I mean, Goose's son... I mean, come on, it's the first one. You're sitting there and you're like, you're, that is a tremendous movie. But I don't want to change anything about that because that encapsulates the whole story. I mean, you have a movie, there's probably the Lord of the Rings, you could say that. Ryan watched Lorax yesterday, I found out, and he said that was a great movie. Yes. But what we're talking about right now is what we're looking at is, is, is there is a story, and we look at that movie, and we're like, oh, man, there's some good things that happen in that, and there's some really bad things that happen in that, and they're both needed in order to help us understand, the, to have the, the, the director, the writers, the producers, everybody that's doing that, to really communicate that message. And I want to tell you something. God is writing a story, many stories, right here among us. And, 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 and part of that story, part of that story has two really key components that our family, I think, demonstrates, especially today. This is Jacob and his family, if you haven't been with us, but this is Jacob and his family created by AI. 
in a very modern uh, 1990s sitcom way. And so part of that story, and what we're going to see today is, part of it is, there's on, the, on one side, there is the amount, the, the beautiful blessings of God. And, and, and your story and my story, where would we be if we did not have the blessings of God? The guidance of God, the promises of God, that the, the way that God has blessed us, your story and my story, where would we be without those pieces about how he has blessed us and taken care of us. I had a boys weekend yesterday. My wife and daughter are at Gardweb for parents weekend. And it was just me and my three boys. And we went to a Carolina football game. And we won. Sorry, Andrew. He's an Appalachian student. But I mean, we just, we, we, you know, part of those stories, you're just sitting back and you're just going... Man, I just am celebrating, God, there's so many things that you're doing, and it is so fun and it's so good. And then on the other hand of the story, there is the discipline of God that's just as important as are the blessings of God. We need those both because who God is creating us to be, those two characteristics, those two traits, those two things in our life are incredibly needed for God to do what God said he would do in our lives. And he says, I have began a good work in you and I'll see it through the day of completion. And so I'm going to bless you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overwhelm you with my presence. And there will be seasons of your life where I'm going to look and I'm going to see sin in your life and I'm going to discipline you. And it's my grace that I'm giving to you in that form of discipline. And no place that we can see that today than really in the life of Jacob found in, in Genesis chapter 29, which is where we're going to be. Genesis 29. Really, what I want us to see is our, our, our big idea. Here's the big idea that I would love for us to see. If you don't remember anything, just, just remember this. This sort of summarizes everything. God's blessings and discipline are needed in our lives. God's blessings and discipline are needed in our lives. You see, if we just sit there and say, well, God, I just want to keep my hands open for you to fill them up with just blessings. But then at the same time, we have this sin in our life that we haven't confessed, repented of, and I don't want your discipline. Then what God turns into is like a genie. And that's dangerous. Just... Give me these things, but don't confront me. And our story that's being created, and even Jacob's story that we're going to continue to look at, is that, yes, it can happen at the same time that God can bless you and take care of you and guide you, but at the same time, he can discipline you, and that's for our good. And it was for Jacob's good, and it's for our good. So I'm going to read you this quote. It says, even though we, God's people, may experience God's blessing on our journey of life, God will effectively discipline us by making us painfully aware of unresolved sins. So in our, in our text today, Genesis chapter 29, verses 1 through 30, 
I believe that that big idea is really on full display. I think from 1 to 15, we're going to see how God has blessed Jacob. And then the rest of the chapter, 16 through 30, is going to be how God is disciplining him. And at this, the same time, why? Because he's doing something in him and wants to do something through him. Just the same thing as us. He's doing something in us and wants to do something through us. And so here's Jacob's family and our, 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 the, the characters that we're talking about today, the people in the story today, of course, are we have Jacob and Laban and we have Rachel and Leah, Laban being Rachel and Leah's father. And so we have this situation, and maybe you've heard about this with the flannel graph way back in the day. I, I see flannel graph, flannel, flannel graph faces. You're, you're nodding with me, okay? That was even before chalkboards, okay? And so, so here, here we're going to take a look at what, what's going on. Let me give you some background in, as we come up to, to chapter 29. In chapter 28, Ryan talked about last week in our family service, but ultimately, what's, what's saying is, is um, verse 15 of chapter 28 summarizes this overwhelming encounter that Jacob has with God. And he says, it's in verse uh, 15 of chapter 28. I'm going to read that. It says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So here is God telling Jacob, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you. I'm, I'm going to do that for you. And then Jacob comes out of that revelation or that knowledge of what God shared with him through his dream. And he's got some pep in his step. It's like having a camp high. He just got back from camp. He is really, really excited. He's been spiritually refreshed. All of this thing's going on. He's stolen the birthright. He's running from his brother, Esau. And he comes into verse 29, and he just heard, excuse me, chapter 29, and he comes out there and he realizes, God has just said to me, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be present in your life. And when God is present in our life, that is how we define a blessing, his presence in our life. So God's telling him, I'm going to be with you. I'm actually going to bring you out of this land to find your wife, and I'm going to bring you back. So he's got really no money. He's not got anything, but he's got a promise from God. He's just like overwhelmed. And let's take a look in uh, verse 1 of verse 29. I'm going to read 1 and 2. We're going to talk about it, then comment on it, and then we'll make some an application at the end. Here's 29. Uh, 29 starting with verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone in the well's mouth was large. Went on his journey. That phrase, went on his journey, means he was walking so, 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 so excited that he wasn't really touching the ground. He was, had pep in his step. He was moving. He had shoulders back and head up, and he was walking. Why? Because what he, had just dis what he had just discovered, what he had just been told in chapter 28, God, 
You're going to take care of me. You're going to guide me. You said you're going to lead me to my family, Abraham's land, and then you're going to lead me back in here. And so here he is on the run, and next thing you know, he's just, oh man, God, his presence in my life. This is, this is so good. He got to this well, and then, and then he realizes that Abraham found his wife, Rebekah, at a well that God led his servant to in Genesis chapter 24. And so all of this is coming back to him, and he's looking at his own, man, I went to a well. My grandparents went to a well. They, he met his wife at a well. Here I am. I'm going to come. Man, God's really leading me. Let's take a look at verse 3. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well, and the water, the sheep, put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. He gets there, and the sheep and the shepherds, and what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to take the rock off, you're supposed to uncover it, and then water the sheep. But the shepherds are there, and they're kind of lazy. They're not watering their sheep. They're just sort of sitting there. Verse 4, Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. Unbelievable. God is like, God, I cannot believe what you're doing. You not only brought me to this well, you brought me to these people that know Laban. He's a family member of mine. He's from my people. God, you really are leading my steps. You're guiding me. He was overwhelmed with this blessing. Verse, chapter, uh, verse 6. He said to them, it is well with him? Oh, is he sick? Is he okay? They said, it is well. Laban's doing great. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. Is it not time for the livestock to be gathered together? Water the sheep and go and pasture them? But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well then we water the sheep. Verse 9. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. This is unusual for a woman to be a shepherdess. Here she comes up. <clears throat> he saw that she was a shepherdess. Verse 10. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob was, was talking to them, and the shepherdess came up, and it's like it's his first cousin. Now, that's not weird like it is today. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say that. That's weird today, but it wasn't weird back then. Okay, let's keep going. So he's so blessed for, for how God is taking care of him and how he was promised that the Messiah was it's going to come, you know, going to come through him. They remember the promise from Abraham and then Isaac and now Jacob. And it's like, oh my gosh, God is really doing what he said he was going to do. He's leading me. He is orchestrating my life. He's blessing me. And then he comes up and he sees Rachel. And we know in a minute what he thinks of Rachel. We'll see that. But he comes and he sees this rock that's on top. And what happens is you're supposed to grab the rock and move the rock off, open up the well, and then all the shepherds would feed their, would, would water their, um, their sheep. They would give them drink. Jacob is just, man, he is just flying high. He comes up. He doesn't need any help. Usually you need help to get the, water, the rock off. And he just grabs the rock and he says, hey, Esau, you hairy Chewbacca looking guy. 
I might drink foo-foo coffee and cut the crust off my bread, but look what I'm getting ready to do. I'm grabbing this rock by myself and I'm taking it off. Ooh, he's just pumped up. Okay, maybe he didn't say that. But he takes, he takes this, he is, he is just basking right now in, wow, man, things are going pretty good. Verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept out loud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to the house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Stay with here once a month. I will tell you right now, he is overwhelmed. He sees Rachel. And on the very first date, he kisses her. That went really well for him. That did not go well for me on my first date with Dana. <laughs> Let it be known to this day that I took Dana to putt-putt. I went out to eat, and I went to a sunset. And I kissed her on the first date. And a couple of weeks later, she dumped me. <laughs> uh, so in the end, it worked out. But like we said, the blessings of God and the discipline of God, okay? And um, so here is Jacob. He is, he is seeing all this take place in God's hand, and he is just overwhelmed. I got to serve the shepherds. I got to move this rock. I got to wa help water their sheep. They didn't really know me. I met them. I met my family. I'm seeing this girl, Rachel. He's, I'm invited to stay in my my. My family member's home, Laban, he's, he's my family. I'm able to stay with him. He invites him to stay with him. And so here we have that God's blessings are needed in life, but so are his discipline. And everything was going, wow, that's going pretty good. And then there's the discipline of the God, discipline of God that happens at the same time. And so now let's look, take a look at the discipline of God towards Jacob, starting in verse 15. Laban said to Jacob, because you are, you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, and Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So Laban is coming to him and saying, hey, there's a tradition here. There's a dowry that you must pay. Uh, let me tell you something. You're coming from somewhere. You don't have any money. You don't seem like you have anything. You gave all this up. Now, I just need you to know I've got two daughters. There's one that's Leah. She's older. And the text would say that she's not very attractive. And then, the, then, then Rachel was the opposite of that. Verse 18. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Laban has this extravagant dowry. So let me just put it into perspective right now. The going rate for dowries in this days was 30 to 40 shekels. The average monthly wage was around 1.5 shekels. So Jacob is paying 130 shekels or basically four times the normal amount 
to just pay off his debt to be able to marry Rachel. And then he says this in verse 20. Guys, I think you should memorize this. We should memorize this. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. That's right. Aaron Kiefer just put his arm right around his wife. Okay? I am calling that out right now because that's what I'm talking about. And here he is sitting there and he's going, I love her. I'm going to wait for her in seven years. In verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, he served seven years. Then Jacob says to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for the time is completed. Really nothing left to the imagination in that verse, right? Okay, do married stuff. I want to get married, do married stuff. Verse 22, so Laban gathered together all the people of the place. He gathered all the people of the place. And he made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah, brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Verse 24, Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to daughter Leah to her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me in saying that statement? echoed in his mind and his ears because that's the exact same statement that his father Isaac said to him. Why have you deceived me? And Jacob never fought what Laban was telling him to do because God in his great mercy was disciplining him and his sinful ways because there's a holy God who does not wink or does not excuse sin. And although, yes, he's guiding us and leading us, what he's also doing is confronting us with our sin. How does he do that in this section? How does he do that in this section? He takes a mirror. We, we know him as Laban. You get what I'm saying? He takes Laban, who functions as a mirror, and puts him face to face with Jacob. And Jacob sees himself in Laban. And this is so needed in his life because here's what took place Jacob never, he enjoyed the blessings of God, but he never owns his sin of deception, of being a deceiver. To his father. He never owned that. God is not going to tolerate us winking at our sin, putting it off, not owning it. It does not work that way. Because of the grand story that he's creating in your life and he's creating in my life, he's like, yes, I'm certainly going to bless you and provide for you and guide you and lead you because I'm good, I'm sovereign, and I love you and I want to care for you. And he is a giver, not a taker. But at the same time, he says, I want you to come face to face with your sin. I came face to face with your sin through my son on the cross. I want you to come face to face with your sin. And so sometimes what God does is he places people before us that are like a mirror to who we are. Some of us might be sitting there going, man, this friend... Man, she drives me crazy. 
Man, this guy, oh my gosh, I cannot believe him. I work with him. He drives me nuts. My boss at work, he drives me crazy. Could it be, could it be that the reason they drive us crazy is because they remind us of ourselves? And that in God's sovereign hand, he's placing them before us so that we would recognize some things that we do that just don't honor him. Laban was placed in front of Jacob so that Jacob could deal with his sin. Verse 26. Verse 26. 26 says this, Laban said, is it not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn? Verse 27, complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Here we have, uh, we have ending up that he comes to him and he says, okay, here's what's going to happen. Laban the deceiver, Laban who comes to Jacob and says, I have Jacobed you. Laban Jacobs, Jacob. Jacob means deceiver. And he Jacobed him. And so he marries, he marries Leah. And then a week later, when the marriage is consummated, he then marries Rachel. But he has to work another seven years. And so, man, we have this unbelievable capital dysfunctional family that's going on right now. But we have a God in heaven who can work through any situation and he does and he will and so I would say this um, in our application and just what are we going to do with the message like how are we going to respond to the message what, what, what do we do with it um, I think we have to recognize that just like there are so many great movies that you and I love to see and we can look at this movie and say, oh, you can't take that part out because that was where the actor really grew. And I would think that God's doing that same thing with us. There are so many things that are taking place in our life, the blessings of God, the discipline of God, and equally are important for what God is doing in us to create in us to be fully devoted followers of him, to be disciple makers, to people that are learning to trust, love, and obey Jesus and live with an open Bible, an open life, and an open faith. And what's needed, what's needed in our life, yes, are God's blessings, and yes, God's discipline. We need that. Sin will take us farther than we want to go and make us stay longer than we want to stay. And in the grand scheme of God's, God's script that he's writing for your life and my life and what he wrote for Jacob's life is, what we can see is that these two issues, blessings and discipline, are incredibly needed. And so what are we going to do with that? I would say, I would say um, this. I would say two weeks ago, Ryan made an illustration 
about grabbing hands. Do you remember that? I loved it, by the way, so therefore I'm bringing it back. Ryan said that sometimes his kids will make, um, that, that he and Lindsay will make cookies. Okay, let's be honest. Lindsay will make cookies and they will try, the kids will try to grab the cookies off. And then Ryan and Lindsay will say, hey, hey, watch your grabby hands. And sometimes what happens is, like Jacob, what did he do? He tried to take something that wasn't his. And so Ryan encouraged us, instead of having grabby hands, turn our hands upside down and rest in the presence of God and the guidance of God as he blesses you. And I would encourage you to keep your hands open as God continues to lead you, to guide you, to speak to you through his word, through our church, and through your life group, and through your small groups and friends, and through where you meet with him. Keep your hands open to receive the blessings of God. But y'all, in addition to that, I would ask you, and I think it's important, to keep your hands open to receive the discipline that comes our way. So one thing we can do with discipline is we can shun it and we can push away from it. I think we turn our hands upside down and we say, God, I want to thank you for those blessings, but God, I open my hands and I open my life to how you want to discipline me because I know that you hate sin and I want to hate it like you hate it. I don't want to entertain it. I don't want to excuse it. I don't want to defend it. I want to own it because I know that the story that you're writing in my life, like the story that you're writing in Jacob's life, it's necessary to recognize that there's a God in the universe who's going to lead us, and there is necessary for us to recognize that there's a God in heaven who will discipline us when we sin. And God confronts us with that through his word and he confronts us with that through other people and he confronts us with that through just how he orchestrates our life. And maybe today, maybe today, we would sit there and say, I receive, God, your blessings, but I equally receive your discipline of things that I have doing or have done that have gotten in the way of the thing that you're doing in my life. One of the best ways that we can continue to remember this, the blessing and the discipline of God, is honestly by coming to the table and remembering the, the, the bread that was shared. Remember, remember what Jesus said? Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Is there another way in this story that we can do things? And then he says, not my will, but thy will be done. And so Jesus Christ was disciplined on our behalf for the sins that we have committed, will commit. And he is so good. God is creating in you a story in your family and it is based off of a lot of things, but two things this morning of blessings and discipline. 
And I want to encourage you that as we get ready to go to the table and as we have people that are praying in the back, we'll have people that will be praying. If you want to pray with someone, we want you to pray. If you are sitting here, I want you to take time. We've got two songs. You don't have to rush to the table. But maybe you just pause and reflect on the blessings that God's given you in your life. But equally, I think it's important for you to think about the ways that God is trying to discipline you in regards to your sin. And the table represents that he desires to bless and that he has paid for whatever is ensnaring you. The table represents that there is bread that was given so that we would remember the king and remember what he did. And the juice is there to remind us that our sins are forgiven. You and I are really good at forgetting. And the reason we come to this table each and every week is so that we would not forget the beauty of the gospel, that we have been forgiven. And we come to that table and we say, God, thank you for your blessings. And God, chase me down, discipline me, rid me of that sin. I want to repent of it. First John says, if we confess with our mouth, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and here's beauty, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's beautiful. And the communion table is a great representation of just that. So if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you have placed your faith in him, you have a relationship with God through Jesus, we want to invite you to come to the table. If not, just sing the songs. Enjoy the words. I love you, and I love being able to serve as one of your pastors. Let's pray. In Jesus' name, I thank you for today, and I thank you for the gift that it is of blessings and discipline. God in heaven, I am grateful for the lessons we can learn from Jacob's life and his family. We know that our lives, it is necessary that we have blessings to be reminded of what you're doing. And it's necessary that we have and respond to that discipline. Help us not to forget that. Help us to keep our hands open and to receive those blessings, but also let us receive that discipline and not push back. As we come to the table, I pray you would meet with us and remind us that your body was given to us so that we would remember what you came to do and that your blood was shed for us so that we could be forgiven of sins once and for all. Help us to remember because we're good at forgetting. Help us to remember today. As we sing and as we worship and as we pray and as we come to the table, we desire to honor you because you are so good. In Jesus' name, amen.